Hi, I'm Lisa Morton, founder of Roland Dransville PR, and this is our We Built This City podcast. This podcast is made of the conversations of the Mancunians born, bred and adopted that put the heart into modern Manchester. We're a city that literally rebuilt itself after the IRA bomb exploded in Manchester city centre in 1996. While the city continues to grow brick by brick, we know that what makes it great are the people that come together day in and day out. People like my guest, Mancunian born and bred, Chris Oglesby. The thing that gets me out of bed every morning is what it is we're trying to do in, with the, the purpose of the business and also the people with whom we're doing it. Chris is the CEO of Bruntwood and even if you've never been inside one of their buildings, you'll know them from their partnerships across the city with organisations like Manchester International Festival and their involvement in the Commonwealth Games. Chris has been at the forefront of the business, which has now more than £1 billion of assets across Manchester, Birmingham, Leeds and Liverpool. Chris and his team are committed to helping cities and communities to thrive and Bruntwood donates 10% of his annual profits to charitable causes. Hi, Chris. I'm grateful for you joining me today on We Built This City. Pleasure, Lisa. Good to be here. I didn't realise that you've now got a £1 billion portfolio across Manchester, Liverpool, Leeds and Birmingham with Bruntwood Works and Bruntwood SciTech and own around a fifth of Manchester city centre offices. So as a business, I know you're known for your commitment to creating thriving cities. I read that when your dad started Bruntwood uh, in 1976, his first acquisition was a gas meter factory in Farmworth. And I just wondered, do you think he ever imagined building up such a huge property empire and making such an impact right then? No, not at all, no, no. Um, in those days, it was just about putting bread on the family table. Uh, and that's what he was absolutely, absolutely focused on. And uh, um, actually, there's a... Um, you. you, you People listening can't see this, but there's a photo behind me of uh, of the day that we took the keys for Oldley Park. And I remember him driving up to Oldley Park for the first time and seeing it. And that was a point where a little tear in his eye sort of said, you know, I just cannot believe that, you know, we're, we're now dealing with this kind of property as opposed to you know, where we started in Farmworth. And you came back north from working as an investment agent um, in London, I think it was in the early 90s. What was the trigger for that? And was it always in your plan that you join your dad in the business? No, quite the contrary, actually. Um, I very much was going to do my own thing. Um, my dad had worked for his dad as a plumber when he was 16. He'd left school and the pair of them had ended up fighting. Um, he'd then gone off to building uh, college and, and set up his own contracting business. And I was very, I'd very much been brought up. Um, I say I'd been brought up to think a certain way. I, I'd, I'd been led in, uh, my dad had just set an example. He, we didn't, you know, we didn't talk about that kind of stuff, but uh, I just felt very clear that I wanted in my independence and I wanted to do my own thing. Uh, he was also very clear about how his views on nepotism, He, when he'd come to Manchester, there was quite a lot of old money um, that he struggled and he struggled to in the early days to uh, sort of get into Manchester and uh, and therefore, uh, you know, I, I didn't want to be one of those, uh, you know, kids that uh, succeeded as a result of nepotism. So I never intended to come back. Uh, but the recession of the late 80s, early 90s was another financial one. They'd had the Black Monday crash in uh, Black Friday crash, as to say, in uh, in London. And uh, the I was doing city investment and development. I'd gone to university there first, which was um, which was why I stayed. And uh, nothing was happening in terms of investment and development in the city. Uh, St. Quintin, the firm I was working for, had asked me to do a secondment 
to the Royal Bank of Scotland and I didn't fancy working uh, in, a, in a corporate like that. And I was having a chat with my dad and he said, well, why don't you come uh, back and uh, work in the business for 18 months, qualify as a surveyor and then go and do your own thing. And that was the uh, that was the plan. Mm. And how did you find it? Because I started when I finished university early 90s I didn't have a job so I went to work for my dad and he had an engineering business on Trinity Way in Salford mm-hmm. I had about 100 welders at the time and I had to go in there and I had to photocopy the drawings and do the tannoy announcements and it was very short-lived because we just rowed all the time we were too alike as far as the business was concerned yeah I think if my dad hadn't put that distance between us I'm not sure we'd have made it but the pair of us um but uh, but the fact that he did but I still remember because I, I used to run the uh the, the business's leasing team and I'd have to sit there with my Rolodex um, uh, and go through go through all of the p- companies that I was speaking to and what had happened in the last week uh, with him which often was the uh, the, the, the most painful of, uh, of experiences but you know I look at the discipline that we've got in our uh, in our leasing team today and uh, you know and that and that's still um, you know it's, it's still so can, can take back the, uh, the a lot of the, the way in which we operate to the ways in which he and I uh, worked together in those days. So what values would you say you got from your dad? Well, as I said, when I was growing up, I think I, I, I got an example set to me. And, you know, I, I think it's really important when you look back at, uh, at people um, that you have to put them within the context of the time in which they were they were operating in. So, I, I, yes, so, so dad didn't talk to me about uh, we didn't talk about the things that unfortunately I've been equipped to be able to talk to my kids about. Um, I'm still not the best at it, but, uh, it's not, you know, it's not, it's not, it's not always easy, but what he did do was he just set this brilliant example. Uh, much of his example, you've got to translate into a 2020 environment. And if you behaved like he did today, then it would be, it would be entirely inappropriate. But a lot of the stuff that he stood for, the strong, the hard work ethic, um, the integrity, the, the lack of bureaucracy in dealing with with people so that um, where you you know where, where, where you say you're going to do something and you do it and you don't necessarily just tangle yourself up in uh, in complex agreements and things uh, because that that the fact that your word is your bond is worth far more than necessarily any formal agreement and that fundamental thing which is probably goes to the heart of, uh, of of my own personal value set which is treating others as you'd be expect to be treated yourself um, and, you know, I know I let myself down in that in that way from time to time. And then it's really important just that you recognize you have and you get back and uh, and do your best to fix it. Um, because, I, you know, I'm a big believer in everything is, uh, you know, whenever people make mistakes, everything is uh, everything is capable of being fixed. So, uh, so, so yeah, the, 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 as I say, those are the values that we, uh, that, and, they, and they manifest themselves in words in different ways in the business today, but ultimately those so-called values that I was brought up with um, still sort of sit right at the heart of, uh, of everything we do personally in the business today. I started my career as a sad in Manchester in the early 90s. And at that point, the city was black. I was in Birmingham and I came back to Manchester and every, I worked on Salford Crescent. That was my first job in PR. I used to walk from the Crescent into Manchester for my bar job because I earned five grand a year my first job. And I needed to supplement that by pulling pints at Gander's Go South as it was in town. And it, everywhere was black. And the city's come through so much transformation since then. I mean, what you've seen that, obviously. What do you think have been the biggest changes that you've seen in your career? Yeah, it's funny. It's funny you say that. Actually, one of the black buildings that you've walked past will have been Blackfriars House then yeah. on, uh, on the corner of the parsonage, and we, uh, I think we, we, we finally got round. We, we've owned that since the early nineties. Sorry, yeah, early 
uh, mid 80s actually but we finally got around to cleaning that around the late 90s which sort of reflects uh, reflects the changes in Manchester I remember doing a project as a kid a photography project and my dad took me into Manchester taking pictures of the beautiful buildings and as you say you really in those days you really had to look to find them but if you did look they were there the free trade hall you know the theatre royale all of these you know beautiful buildings um but they were just unloved, and we'd had all of uh, we'd we'd had all of the pollution. But also, I think so much of the value of the property had gone into the ground floors and had moved from the upper floors. In other words, um, the activity that happened upstairs, the commercial activity, that had all gone. It had been hollowed out, and the city was. Uh, was really focused on lowest common denominator uh, ground floor operators. So you had your sort of amusement arcades and uh, and, and and fairly scruffy re- retail uh, because the the owners of the building were chasing the uh, chasing the only rent that they could get, which was who was going to pay them the most. And I think one of the biggest single changes for me, and this was something that we really focused on when we were working with Argent through the Piccadilly Partnership, was was how we move from a situation where the ground floor actually provides the amenity for to create the environment for the people that then are going to occupy the upper floors. So, and, and what we've seen then subsequently is this uh, Manchester becoming a livable city again um, and, and also being a place where people want to work. So when I came back in the early 90s, rents were higher in South Manchester than they were in the city centre because everybody wanted to be on a business park in South Manchester. But, but, but having recreated Manchester as a place that people want to be to work, then that turns that around. So for, for, I think for me, it's, it's been this sort of um, this uh, symbiotic relationship between the different uh, parts of the city that have incrementally made it uh, a better place for all of those things. You know, the hotel economy, it's a better place because of the quality of the amenity. It's a better place to live because of that. Um, and if people are, and if it's a better place to work, then it becomes a better place to live, etc. If you try and sort of look at what Manchester has done, where the leadership of the city has operated so effectively, I don't particularly point to individual physical interventions, but rather it's the culture of collaboration and the recognition that all of these things are interrelated. And if any one part of the chain breaks, then effectively it has a knock-on impact to uh, to, to the rest. Mm. And you talk about collaboration, and I think I launched the business one month after the IRA bomb. And obviously that kind of tore the city apart, but then was lucky enough to be involved in working with public-private partnerships to rebuild the city. And I think we were were able to do that because of the the power of the partnerships, Howard and Sir Richard. Do you think that the collaborations and the partnerships in Manchester are strong and, and allow us to deliver that success, perhaps more so than other cities? Yeah, no, it's no question from my point of view, that's the biggest single factor. And, uh, you know, there's that phrase that culture culture beats strategy every time. And Manchester has been hugely strategic. And I think, it, again, it's another reason why it's been successful. But I would, I would always place the culture in the city, that culture of collaboration as being more important than the strategic vision. Um, and it is when we are effectively looking to export what we've done in Manchester to other places, one of the biggest single things we're able to take is that ability to be able to convene and create and do our best to create that culture of collaboration. But ultimately, it requires it requires something to be working at in other places, and some places have got it and others haven't. But if when we're looking for other places to work in, it's a sign that they are really up for that, that is more important to us than necessarily individual economic strengths of a place because if you've got that you've got something to work with and if you haven't 
I just think you just see such value destruction. So I think what you're saying is that you're bottling what Manchester's got and then taking it to the cities that you're working in there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've got to be a little bit careful about about that because each of the, I mean, I think each of the individual cities have got their own strengths, yeah. but the one piece that we definitely are bottling uh, or that we're trying to bottle and it's so aligned with our business, we built our business on on that, is, is that culture of collaboration. Yeah, definitely. Um, is there a particular part of the city that you love most or that you kind of enjoy visiting most we've got some amazing districts haven't we now the very distinct personalities we we do and um you know i could i could fire through them rapidly and say what i love about each because they are also different and in many cases um you know we've we've worked with uh, with those you know one one that we all i think hold very dear in manchester's the northern quarter and i think it's going to be really it's an really interesting time for the northern quarter as we've seen gentrification uh, completely sort of undermine parts of both Manchester, but more particularly, you know, more, more widely. Um, but we've loved um, operating Affleck's within the Northern Quarter and really feeling part of uh, of that community. Uh, the one I'm most focused on at the moment is the Oxford Road Corridor, um, given the activity that we've got down there and taking, you know, the, the big strength is the, the fact that it is dominated by three or four large institutions. The weakness is then that it, it sort of lacks almost this sense of community and, and building that has been, you know, it's been a hugely rewarding experience. Uh, but no, I, I love I love all of the parts of the city for their own for their own distinct char- character that they uh, that they've got the the old financial core as it was called uh, as it's called has hugely characterful buildings and um, you know that that needs a little bit of work doing to it at the moment in order to that, that we really play to to its strength. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm very impressed with with major regen schemes that some of our competitors have done in terms of um, taking parts of the city and giving them some character. And not so impressed with others that have become mm-hmm. a bit anodyne. But and just going back to Affleck, did you used to shop in there for any of your copper when you were so, in the nineties? <laughs> yeah, so um, and not uh, more more so actually uh, in the eighties when yeah, yeah. Uh, as a kid. But it was uh, yeah, I'm afraid it was more for sort of you know when I was going somewhere I needed to dress up than necessarily what I was wearing on a on a day to day basis. Um, but I know uh, it's 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 been a absolute Manchester icon for you know forever and. Uh, you know, again, it was my dad did the deal first off. First off, with uh, with Elaine, back in the early '80s when he when he bought it, and um, you know saw the business grow. Uh, we had you know the challenges when when in the end we had to take it over in the uh, in the 2000s, and I think you know people thought it was uh, we were going to we were going to ruin it as the big corporate, but uh, but actually it's uh, it's gone from strength to strength. And build and and taking what we've done at Affleck's and then t- taking that into new retail locations now, uh, when we start to imagine the uh, the future of the town centre, uh, reimagine the future of the town centre, or for that matter, enlivening somewhere like the Oxford Road corridor, as we have done with Hatch, um, the experience of working with uh, with small traders. Briefly, actually, just one of the first things I did when I came back to Manchester, uh, you're talking about Farmworth, was when I was working as an investment agent in London, I got the particulars of Farmworth Market precinct over my desk and thought, I know somebody sentimental that would be quite interested in buying uh, Farmworth Town Centre. So I sent the details up to my dad and sure enough, he did buy it. And it was a bit of a challenge. The roofs leaked. Um, the market traders were, were were permanently on the phone. So my first job I was given when I got back to Manchester was managing, uh, replacing the roof of, uh, of, of Farmworth Precinct and dealing with all the individual market traders. 
which again was a great experience. And I think it, you know, is understanding. I have a love for owner managed retail and leisure businesses. Uh, I just think they, you know, that they're, they're such an important part of place and the relationship that people have with those businesses because they're having a relationship with the person that owns it as well is so much diff- so different to dealing with uh, a chain or whatever so uh, so that's my part i can trace it all the way back to that but that's part of the reason that we just love dealing with owner managed uh, owner managed businesses in uh, in, the, in those sectors and why i'm so excited about town centers at the moment yeah. Yeah, it's such a lovely story. And I think as well, that's, well, we were lucky enough to work on the Northern Quarter. And at the time they said, we it's going to be the Greenwich Village of Manchester. And when I looked at it, I thought, my God, there's some work to do here. And of course, it's that and more really now. But I think because there's so many independents, that really gives the heart to that kind of that area of the city, doesn't it? And it's wonderful to see their businesses flourish because of the environment and because of the people. Absolutely. Yeah, it, it, it is. And uh, so for Tony and the team running Afflex, it's really important that they're connected then with all of the, you know, all of the people that are behind the businesses uh, there. And it is. And as a result, it is such a different community. And it's why at Circle Square, Andrea and uh, the rest of our retail team are only putting in um, retail and leisure operators that have uh, that every single concept that's going in there is an original, unique concept. And there isn't anything that we're putting into the Circle Square development that's been done elsewhere. If you're loving We Built This City, please could you take the time to leave a five-star review on your podcast platform? Thank you. With the IRA bomb, we had to physically rebuild the city. And with the pandemic, you're going to have to rebuild it again, not with bricks and mortar, but in other ways, using other skill sets and strategies, but definitely with the same resilience. So Andy Burnham has launched Build Back Better. What do you think we need to do as a city region now, not just to recover, but to thrive going forward? Yeah, I think I think we've got to be unashamedly um, opportunistic about it so when something like this happens it it provides you know there is a huge cost associated with it um and what we you know i'm a great believer you should never waste a good crisis so uh you know when the ira bomb went off we uh, we were fortunate. I was in the middle of the channel, the English Channel at the time on a boat. I'm not a big sailor. I just happened to be about <laughs> as far away as I could be and felt incredibly helpless. But I remember um, Jackie Laws, who was running our serviced office, our very new serviced office business at the time, got straight on the phone to the companies that had been displaced, one of which was TMD Cara, who we managed to locate in one of our buildings as a result. And, you know, today... Uh, Dentsu Aegis that sort of you can trace the link back all the way through and now one of our biggest customers in, uh, in in the portfolio. So take that sort of little that that thought about how you take a how you take um, a crisis and you're opportunistic and um, I'm sure you know you've you've, you've you've heard this number of people are quoting it but the Lenin quote of you know decades happen decades pass and nothing happens and then weeks pass and decades uh, there's decades worth of progress and uh, and I see this as one of those opportunities where we can really push for decades worth of progress we were already very concerned that we were going to be heading into a, a sort of similar 1980s um, structural case uh, situation of structural unemployment um, as a result of the fourth industrial revolution and all of the the automation meaning that jobs were going to disappear forever uh, we thought that was going to be three or four years away and clearly I think what this crisis has done is it's potentially accelerated that um, so what you know what we've been working to do through the business with city partners is think about well what do we need to do in order to make sure that the city is at the vanguard of this fourth industrial revolution, that the population is upskilled to be able to do the jobs that we're creating as uh, for tomorrow as opposed to the jobs of yesterday. 
that we're pushing forward with a um, with with a city that's um, sustainable, um, that's got uh, that's got sustainability at its heart, and that is attractive to to both retaining the skilled talent that we're generating in the city, but also attracting continuing to attract attract skilled talent. So, uh, so so when we're as we are doing, working with Andy and the team, primarily myself through the through the LEP and all of the different subcommittees, looking at build back better. We sort of looked at the strategy of the city, which was already reflecting what are the areas we need to focus on uh, to make sure the city is at the forefront of the of the next industrial revolution. And our four sort of thematic areas are um, health innovation, ad- advanced manufacturing, uh, creative and digital, and, a, and the green economy. And then looking at those four areas and saying, right, how can we utilize either the behavioral change or the situation caused by the pandemic in order to accelerate five to 10 years worth of progress in the next nine months? Um, We took people in the 80s from being unemployed into jobs, but a lot of the jobs that we created, arguably, they'd have been better off being unemployed because they were pretty dead end jobs that weren't um, weren't giving people the stimulation that they that they required. Um, you know, we need to be creating jobs that are really sort of satisfying for people, both in terms of what they're doing, but the way in which they're rewarded for what they're doing as well. Uh, you know, I'd like to see the the, the, the minimum wage, um, you know, significantly higher than the current living wage. And I think people that are running businesses, it's incumbent upon them to uh, to drive productivity and make those jobs more rewarding. It feels like there's a big task at hand and we all want to build back better, but understanding how we're actually going to do it. I've spent a bit of time coming back into the city I've not been able to stay away really um but you can see so many changes happening so quickly just as you say the pedestrianization of Deansgate the air feels better but it feels so quiet they feels like the heart's not in Manchester right now yes it's, it's certainly a big big worry of mine is that um it feels it almost feels like it's permanently Sunday morning um you know not not Sunday afternoon when you've got the shoppers coming in but uh, this very quiet uh, quiet city with a few people uh walking around getting their brunch and that's about it so um when covid hit it was like a guillotine coming down and our responsibility towards each other was to keep each other safe whilst we understood what the virus is um, we still don't understand it fully, but I think we've got a lot greater understanding about it. Um, my wife's a doctor, so I've, I, I, we have a lot of conversations about about it. It's absolutely fascinating as a virus, Benny. That's another story. Um, we need to start to shift the narrative into one where it is really important that we are um, starting to come back in a safe way, which is why, and you know, Andy and the LEP are are, are leading with this safety first. Uh, message. So we recognise we've got to get people over the hurdle of actually that this, that, you know, that that that, that it is going to be safe uh, to 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 start again. But then we've all got to understand it is our responsibility to do our bit to get people uh, moving again. Because otherwise, you break one piece of the chain, and you you, you know the rest of it is uh, the rest of it doesn't uh, doesn't doesn't follow. And that's where I feel really positive about Manchester again because it has been very good at convening people to work collaboratively and, and, and in a connected way together. I think that's what really good at as a city, though, in times of adversity. We're known for coming together, aren't we? So I have great hope and kind of conviction that we're going to do it. And it's like the last recession. I remember it was just impossible to make any money, really. Um, And so at that point, I think our business and lots of other businesses just said, let's just get together, let's introduce, let's let's become partners and let's support each other, even if there was very little money changing hands. But we came out of that learning an awful lot. And actually, I think having much better relationships with, our, with you know, peer companies and people across the city, which benefited everybody. 
in a world where at the moment um, there are so many things that you could paint as in such a depressing light um and uh, can you know you can you can look at how brexit polarized the country and you know we've overlaid this on top of uh, on top of it we've got the extremist politics around the world uh, at the moment uh you know america's response to, or, or sort of you know George trump and the republicans response to the george floyd situation you think well what on earth is the answer to this but then you and, and i think this is why i feel so blessed to be able to do what i do because then i leave the house in the morning either literally or at the moment sort of uh, virtually and i just walk into a positive agenda i walk into an agenda of people working together to work out how we're going to fix these problems and i just you know i've got so many friends who unfortunately don't aren't able to do that who who you know whose day job is sort of mirrors what it is that we're consuming through the media in the evening and the more that we can get people actually focusing during the day on how are we going to fix this and what and the positive things and and that, that and, the, and the big positive about it is is the way in which communities are pulling together I can get very depressed about social media when I'm sort of trying to communicate with my kids on, and they're on their Snapchat. But actually, the flip side of that is that we've seen social media pulling communities together in a way that never would have happened before. And in some ways, as a developer, that can be challenging because it means that people can mobilize. Uh, but actually, the reality is, and I look at something like we look at something like Stratford Mall, which we're looking to do at the uh, to redevelop at the moment, and the quality of community engagement that we're having as a result of social media um, allowing the community to think cohesively is going to imagine we're going to get such a better development than we'd have ever got if we'd been doing that ourselves as a as, as a property developer so you can take that and look at all sorts of different parts of the city and the way that it works and see how um how, how we can um you know, really build back better but the the challenge and this is the thing as a sort of business person, I keep coming back to the politicians on is we've got to keep engaging enough of the business community in that positive agenda. Uh, and they all want to do it. We, uh, there's, there's no, there's such a thirst in this city amongst the, you know, amongst businesses to be working on those challenges of the city. It was, it was, it was fantastic. When, when Andy went out, we were struggling. We had no PPE. So he, he said to Tim Nunes of Midas, Tim, can you help me find some PPE? And within three days, I think Tim had got him more PPE than he needed. Uh, and he just, that was just by getting out to the the business contacts, the e-com guys who've got great logistics uh, capabilities, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 and almost whenever, whenever the leaders of the city ask, the business community, you know, return in spades. So, you know, you've got to look at things like MIPIM, um, the Mansion International Festival, yeah. you know, things like this, where if there is an ask there, um, uh, because, because we can all see the benefit of these things to the city and therefore to our businesses as well. I think that is so true. And there's been a massive sense of purpose. I mean, that that word's been so important and so true recently. Um, and I think also the city's very good at that. And, in, in you know, I had an issue recently with somebody that I didn't even know who was it was a literally a matter of life and death and needed some help and and she was introduced to me and I just thought at that point who could help me here and I just you'd been on the webinar the day before and I reached out to you and you you managed to get that information within 45 minutes and so very grateful um, and thank you and it's made a massive difference but it, it also made me realize that if you put into relationships in your career and certainly in a place like Manchester, those people are there for you when you really need them and certainly in times like this. This is the We Built This City podcast. 
celebrating the Mancunians that built and continue to build this amazing city. Bruntwood talks about itself as a business with purpose. What does purpose mean for you? Uh, so it's, it's, it's going back to when you asked me the question about my dad and how the way I was brought up and everything. I, I, I've none of this was explained, um, but you sort of, but, but I was able to watch it. I've then been lucky, um, and I'm unashamedly, I read, um, I read books about both people and business, and I tend to read, um, you know, real stories rather than fiction. I, I, I there's so many great stories out there, and I've, re- I've sort of over the years read read a lot and. Uh, and, and one of my, say one of my favorite, uh, sort of business stroke sort of people books is, uh, is a book called, uh, drive by Dan Pink. And he talks about the three things that people need to motivate themselves as, um, uh, autonomy, mastery, and a sense of purpose. And we've built our whole colleague proposition at Bruntwood around that. And so going back to my dad and those early days, having my own office was really important. So I created a level of autonomy for me. Mastery is this, uh, the concept of learning new things. And I think this whole Darwinian thing of us continually moving forward and learning, learning is such an important motivator. But that third thing uh, for me is, is, is the most critical, which is that sense of purpose. It's coming home at the end of a day, a day and feeling like, um, you know, I've achieved something worthwhile. And for our business, our, our purpose is, is creating thriving cities. And when I'm talking to people either looking to join us or new, new starters, I can't think of anything almost more purposeful than making this, the, the place in which the society in which you live a, a better place. Um, and you know, the, for the minute that your head hits the pillow at night, you, you know, the, the work oughtn't to be keeping you up. Uh, yes, we have stresses from time to time. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm very lucky that uh, that when my head hits the pillow at night, I, I fall asleep and I and I wake up. You know, I wake up the next morning and I don't I don't tend to have too many problems sleeping. And I'm sure a part of that is because of the fact that what we're doing is so purposeful. Uh, and you know, if it was all about the money, and, and you know, I know people for whom it is, and sleep is a challenge. So one of one of those uh, one of those things. So purpose purpose for me is is the reason that I keep doing it now, despite the fact that uh, it would be very easy to, uh, to put my feet up and, uh, and enjoy, you know, what we've, what we've earned over the years. And when I've seen people who were purposeful, who own and run businesses, sell their business, um, I've seen them, you know, lose that purpose. And as a result, lose their very essence and become incredibly miserable as well. It's one of the things that this country, uh, the strength of the financial economy is such that, um, I think it's too, almost too, too much and too many owners of businesses sell businesses uh, because they think that's the right thing to do too early uh, and bring the professionals in to run it when actually um, the owner manager is a better, you know, is a better long-term solution. If you look in, look, you know, look at a lot of, look at German economy, this sort of middle, middle stand, the, 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 these large, medium, large businesses that have remained owner managed for years. And, uh, I, I, you know, I feel that's, that's a much better economy than, um, than, 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 than where you see, uh, where you see people in the UK, um, you know, selling out early, uh, one losing their purpose, but then secondly, often the business is losing the purpose as well. Cause the, you know, purpose is something that definitely is led, led from, led from the top. It needs to be owned by everybody in the business, but it definitely needs to be led. Yeah. I think your business is not just about a vehicle to make money. It's a platform to, to do good things. And what then for me, when I have very dark moments, you get up because it's there because you can, you can affect change. And that's where you get your joy from, not 
barely what you made that year financially. Yeah, exactly. The thing that gets me out of bed every morning is is that is is what it is we're trying to do and with the the purpose of the business and also the people with whom we're doing it with, which is why as much as it's nice talking to you over uh, over Zoom like this, um, for me the you know that that personal interaction is such a such an important part of uh, of, of the whole the whole thing as well. And whenever I get down, I'm found prowling around the office, uh, you know, seeking out people and the positive energy that they uh, that they've got to lift me uh, lift me again. And as I say, fortunately in our place, there's enough uh, there's enough of that that uh, it's rare that that lasts for long with me. Absolutely. I can't wait to get back. And we've been back in a few times. I can't wait to get back in there permanently. We Built This City, a podcast about the Mancunians born, bred and adopted that put the heart into modern Manchester. So we have the Roland Dransfield Way, which is 15 values that we want to hold ourselves accountable to. Are there any of them on there that really kind of stand out for you? Well, I, I, and I, first of all, I, I think it's fabulous that as a um, sort of a, as a communications consultant, you've got so many values because um, I used to have 12 uh, values for Bruntwood and I, and I got repeatedly told that I couldn't have them because people can't remember them all. We can and remember to, all of us. <laughs> I do do tests because certainly, um, you know, I used to test people every now and then and they'd get to about nine or 10 and then they couldn't quite remember what the last two were. But I always said the point is they, don't, they can't remember them all, but they absolutely understand what they stand for. And as long as you lead that way then uh and, and i'd rather have too many and not people not be able to recite them but to understand what they stand for uh, rather than having things fall through the cracks by your values not summing things up enough so anyway it got me going away to look at ours again uh, <laughs> on the basis of the fact that so i absolutely loved your values when i had a look at them and they and, and they all resonate you know from the from the sweep the sheds which is very similar to the way in which the all blacks in um talk about i can't remember the name of the book now but it's a brilliant legacy book about legacy yes mm. um and i think if you've if you've if you've sort of when you've started a business or in my case started at the you know built an office and you've been there from all of the smallest tasks um i think that you know that ability to say that no task is too small for anybody in the business and if something needs doing you just do it, you just do it is such an important thing and that shared responsibility i think as a and as a leader being seen to be willing to do anything but and also capable of doing anything in the business is so important you know i love your you know dickheads one um and again that's so it's so important that uh that the, the, the most important thing is is cultural fit in the business, and uh, you know we've had some superstars, but that have been dickheads that haven't made it. Um, uh, you also have to remind yourself not to be one yourself, so that kind of applies to us. I'm, I'm yeah. being a dickhead. <laughs> yes. Well, so I'm, I'm I think it's fun. Yeah, so that, that, that's where having a challenge, challenging wife, and now uh, twin twin eighteen year olds and a twenty year old. Um, yeah, they, they certainly are, if, if, even if there are people in the office sometimes that don't quite feel up, up to telling me then that, then they do at home. Although increasingly there's people do in the office as well. And, um, yeah, the, the, I can't remember exactly the, uh, the words that you, uh, that you had about being mistake about mistakes, but this idea of, um, admitting your mistakes, um, fixing them and moving on is such an important part. And we, we do encourage people you now we want people to make mistakes in the business. We're piloting things all the time. And I think just at the moment when there's so many different things happening in the world, uh, that none of us have the answers, the days of the property guru that knew everything are history. And, you know, the answers in our, the answers lie right across our business of people trying things and them not working 
but the one the one that probably resonated for me the most was uh, plant trees that you'll never see i think is is that the mm, yeah which for right. me yeah. um is so, so, i mean i happen to be doing that personally at the moment i'm lucky that i uh, i live out on a farm and we're we're planting loads of trees and uh, um, and we and we're never going to properly see see them when they when they grow so i love the literal meaning of it as well as metaphorically what it means in a in a business environment as well and when we're, you know, when we're looking to help um, communities to to, to to regenerate over a period of time, as we are in places like Stratford or for that matter in the Oxford Road Corridor at the moment, you know, the, the, these aren't situations where you're looking for instant gratification, um, where it's, it's where, you know, slow incremental gains over a long, long period of time are the way in which you're going to, uh, you're going to, going to see that. And, um yeah, I think actually part of that plays into your keep it real one as well because I um, I think one of the things that um, we perhaps sometimes don't get it right is we don't always celebrate our successes enough, and that's because if you say if you're planting trees that you're never going to see, you never actually you know th there's never a point where the job's absolutely done, and therefore you you know you get too carried away with yourself. But that keep it real one goes back to my dad who uh, his big concern was always with me, just knocking me down a peg or two and making sure I didn't get carried away with myself. And there are times where you, you know, you felt, felt that was a bit, uh, you know, that, that was a bit of a struggle, but there's no doubt that I've benefited from that in the long term. And uh, I, I do feel at times that uh, we, we, we've become a bit needy for recognition when actually rather than looking for recognition from others, we ought to be looking um, ourselves at where those positive incremental you know, there's all of those positive incremental gains are being made. And uh, rather than expecting the tree to appear in front of us there and then, um, just to, uh, you know, to, to almost appreciate what we're doing uh, on the journey along the way. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't be appreciative of people and say thank you. We absolutely should. Um, but uh, but a thank you as opposed to you're brilliant, you're a superstar. And let's keep it real, as you say. It's very, very true. And I love the fact that your logo for the charitable trust is a tree so with the roots and the branches and that kind of sums everything up there that you've just said just lastly I want to ask what legacy you want to leave in Manchester I think again if so if we look at the the, the concept of incremental gains um my the, the legacy that I would like to leave is that we have continued to develop that culture of collaboration that we have, we continue to engage more and more of the city in it, and there are times when uh, it does become a little bit. It feels like a little bit too much of an exclusive club that is that that, that is working on the challenges. Um, and so, uh, I think you know, for me, over the next ten to twenty years, the thing that I, if I, uh, the thing that I would particularly like to leave as a legacy is an infrastructure it, where. Where, where business is collaborating to solve the challenges of the city in a way that um, is really promoting good business. So we've been right at the heart of the development of the mayor's um, uh, good business charter. I think that's what it's called. But basically, that is about how businesses should operate, thinking about sustainability, DNI, colleague engagement, etc. And where where you've got um, where we've got businesses that are working towards helping the city um, effectively uh, to deal with its challenges of the future uh, and having that as open and as wide as uh, as possible 
So uh, that would be my biggest legacy is take is is really building that culture of collaboration to a point where you have public and private sector working together to, as Bruntwood says, to to create thriving cities. It's wonderful, and it's a long way from the gas meter factory in Farnworth. <laughs> It is. And I think that's the most important. Again, if yeah. when, when I'm asked about people who are running smaller businesses about about that, uh, and uh, you know, it is about recognizing that you don't have to have the grand vision day one. I mean, strategy has evolved. Um, and in many cases, strategy evolves out of opportunity. As we found over the years, the fact that we got into science and tech was because we bought a building on Oxford Road that we were going to turn into a call center. And I'm embarrassed to say that today, that I, but that's where the jobs were being created at the time. It's just the fact that we happened to put that pin in the ground in that place that we then discovered this, the beginnings of the new innovation economy that meant that then we suddenly, we, we didn't turn it to a call center, we turned it into a technology center and suddenly we're the, we're, the, we're the national expert in developing innovation districts for science and tech. And, and so, uh, and, and so whatever your business whatever its scale it doesn't really matter um you're just making you're doing things right uh, in the scale and you're thinking about what it is that you're able to, to, to as i say to to achieve today um so i've got quick fire questions i know you don't like either or i think or favorites but we're gonna have to go through the pain on this one chris so i know the answer to this one anyway but it pains me to say so united or city yeah i'm from manchester so uh that, that we know the answer to that one uh, you can tell by looking at the colour of my jumper as well. That's low. <laughs> favourite view of the city? My favourite view of the city, I used to work on the 24th floor of City Tower and I love looking down on the city, but the, the reality is that the best view in this, of the city is from my office now on the second floor of, uh, of Union, our office building that faces the town hall. And uh, it's just an iconic, iconic view of Manchester. I can't wait to get Albert Square uh, and the town hall work complete. It's such yeah. a fabulous civic square. And to see, yeah, yeah, we, 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 we get two coach loads of Chinese tourists that appear every day taking photos of the town hall. It's one of the things that I'm, I'm, I'm desperate that during the period of the works that we make sure that we maintain Albert Square as an interesting place. And I know a lot of it's going to be taken up by hoardings, but there's still the opportunity to, uh, to, do, to do something there. So it is the heart of the city. And when MIF is on and we've got Festival Village in Albert Square, Manchester's at its best for me. It really is. I love that place. Fish and chips or pie and chips? Uh, fish and chips. Um, although I'm, I'm not a big, I'm not a big one for my carbs. So I like my chips really skinny with lots of fat and not too much potato. You're the first person who said fish and chips. Nobody's actually said it. And I'm the same. I have to take the batter off and don't have the chips and just have the mushy peas. Best Manchester band or artist? So we're, we're, we're definitely, um, Liam Frey household now. Um, he's just such a fabulous poet. My wife, I think has got a crush on it. Well, I know she's got a crush on him. Um, but, and my kids, my, my kids, my kids absolutely love, uh, love the Cortinas as well. So it pains me to say, because, uh, their football allegiance is the other side of the city. Yeah. And up, up until their emergence, it would have been, it would have been Oasis because of the football connection. Um, but no, uh, the Cortinas are definitely our number one, uh, Manchester band. Did you, do you know Liam? Can you get him on this podcast? <laughs> no, no, I don't. Uh, the closest I got to him was a fantastic uh, Raise the Roof uh, charity yeah. thing that he was uh, he was part of yeah. uh, last year, which was just such a privilege to be in the Victoria mm -hmm. Warehouse for that. And the lineup was was absolutely incredible, which again just shows the convening power of, uh, of Manchester uh, when it puts its mind to it. What do you miss most about the city when you're not here? The people. 
absolutely everybody says that i think without fail yeah <laughs> chris thank you so much for joining me on we built this city today I think that you and your family and your team have really helped to put the heart into modern Manchester and do exactly what this whole podcast is there to celebrate. So thank you very much indeed. Uh, thanks for that. And, and, you know, not wanting to sort of butt it back, but I mean, you and your business um, are such great advocates of the city and you, you know, you, you tell the city story so well through your various clients. Chris has helped literally build this city but he is helping to build the city back better by autonomy, mastery and a sense of purpose, by creating a collaborative culture and he's doing it all whilst listening to the Cortinas. On the next episode, you'll hear from Mancunian social entrepreneur Corinne Bell, founder of Open Kitchen. Corinne and her team and a band of volunteers are helping to make sure that vulnerable people across Greater Manchester aren't going hungry. The next episode will be in your feed next Thursday. This is a podcast by Roland Dransfield PR. Our mission is to build purposeful relationships in all we do. If you do want to talk to us, give us a call on the same number we've had for 24 years. 0161 236 1122.